You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been covering an area of the book of Philippians that are most encouraging to us. Paul addresses our conduct, our behavior, our thought life, and now he makes a little bit of a transition. We finished up last week in verse 9 of chapter 4. Now, Paul has given us the previous verses, some instruction regarding our cares and concerns, our anxiety, that we are to, in everything, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, which surpasses And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then Paul lists a litany of the things that we're called to focus on. And it begins with whatever is true. And basically throughout all these identifying thoughts, focuses that we have are on God's word. But now... In verse 10, Paul makes a little bit of a transition. So we'll look at this, but before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Yes. Yes, we are. Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize that we are totally and completely dependent upon you. And Lord, as we bring our thoughts to you this morning. We want to lift up our brother, Brian Ashby, and his wife, Susanna, and their children as he faces this battle with cancer. We pray, Lord, that you would grant him grace, peace, comfort, as well as healing through the treatments that he is to undergo. We pray, Lord, that you would just lift him up during this time that he faces this dire disease and battles it. We know many in our body here have gone through similar battles with cancer, and we know that several have made it through the battle. Some you have taken. We just lift up this man, Lord, and pray that you would show mercy and grant him grace and healing that he may continue to serve you to be a provider for his family, a husband to his wife, and a father to his children. We just give you praise, Lord, for what you can do and what you do in your providence as well as your sovereign will in all things. We thank you now and ask that you would guide us in your word as we study these texts that your servant Paul have pinned under your inspiration. And we thank you, Father, that you have provided us with this special revelation 
that you have granted us and that we can look to to understand everything that we need for life and godliness. We just give you praise now and ask that you would guide us, enlighten us through your Holy Spirit, that you may be glorified as we study your word. We just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we looked at this text that we considered over the last couple of weeks, now Paul is focusing on a totally different direction. He wants to show and express his gratitude for the Philippian support throughout all the years that Paul has ministered, since Paul had ministered to him, through to all the Philippians, the gospel, he discipled them, nurtured them, and prayed for them, and he's well, he loved them. They, in turn, send, sent a gift as soon as they were able to find out where Paul was. They hadn't had contact with him for quite a while. And actually, it's been almost 10 years now since Paul had first ministered to these Philippians on his missionary journey through Philippi. But they had a great love for Paul, but also were very thankful for his ministry. He had not only nurtured them in the word, but he prayed for them, encouraged them, discipled them. And now he wanted to express his rejoicing over their generosity. So he begins with, in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have received, <clears throat> revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul here is not only expressing his gratitude, but he's also presenting us with another truth in regards to Christ's sufficiency. So as we do so, we want to first of all find out what is it that uh, Paul had in, in the sense of they had a lack of ability to supply Paul's needs. They would follow him. They Throughout his ministry, when he went to Macedonia after leaving Philippi, they sent a gift to help him with his needs. And when he was in Thessalonica, they supplied for his needs so that he could present the word of God to them so he could study and preach and teach. So he was free to do so because of their continual supply of their gifts, offerings to him. 
And here, they had not responded for such a time, and yet now they sent Epaphroditus to Rome while he's imprisoned in Rome. They wanted him to be supplied with his necessities, food and raiment. So they sent Epaphroditus along with an envoy to bring this gift to Paul as a token of their love for him as well as their concern for his well-being and having his needs met. But since Paul had not heard for them for a while, he puts it like this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. So what does Paul mean here when he said you have revived your concern for me? The word revive is an important word. It's from a Greek verb, which is also a horticultural term. Now, it describes a plant that is dormant for a season during the winter months and appears lifeless. We here in Idaho, North Idaho, have trees that exhibit this truth, the tamaracks. Now, I wanted to find out a little more detail about this, so I called John Kinney. He's a forester. And I asked him, John, what exactly happens in the fall when we see the needles change on these tamaracks? And he said, well, what happens is their nutrients are being sapped out. When it starts to get cold, temperatures change, and the ground is starting to not produce nutrients, the tree becomes dormant. And for a season, it has just a brilliant color, yellow or orange, a beautiful color. And when we see that here in North Idaho, we recognize we're entering into fall. And not close behind is uh, winter. So when this happens, all the needles fall off. We get some snow and wind, these needles fall off, the tree looks barren. And I've had people come to visit us that weren't familiar with these trees, and they said, oh, you've got a few trees that are dead out there. You better have somebody help you fall those. And I said, well, no, they're not. They're dormant. Those are tamarack, and I explained the, a little bit of the process. So it helps us to understand, but when we get to spring and the nutrients from the ground begin to feed the roots on this tree, then the nourishment is needed, all of a sudden you have these brilliant needles on that tree. And once again, it shows life. So this is a picture here of this sense of being dormant. Paul had not heard from the Philippians until they sent Epaphroditus. He didn't know where they were. They didn't know where he was. Excuse me, they didn't know where he was. He knew where they were. So we have this void of time in which Paul didn't communicate with them. And now all of a sudden, when they found out he was in prison, they had great concern for him, and they sent him some gifts in order to provide for his needs. So Paul goes on to say, you have revived your concern for me. And 
Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. So now Paul knows why, because Epaphroditus explained to him that they didn't know where he was, and consequence of that, they weren't unable to help him in any way. Now this has been renewed, and he is rejoicing over this gift. The gracious attitude that Paul had reflects his confidence in God's perfect providence and timing. He wasn't sure where his substance were going to come from. He was chained to these guards. He was in need of nourishment. He got just minimal food and minimal clothing. So here, now, he was supplied with these needs, and he was rejoicing. He was grateful for their gift, and he wanted to express that to them. But he understood this happens in God's providential timing. We have to learn something from this text. We learned that Paul had complete trust in God's sovereignty and in his providential sovereignty. That is, we don't always understand God's providence for us. We don't understand why some things happen to Christians that are painful, and we don't understand always what God is doing in his providential will. But he knows, we know this from his word. He works everything together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So his purpose is to glorify himself and to build our trust and faith in him. And so Paul understood this. He was a mature Christian. You know, we looked last week at some of the focuses that we have, that we think on whatsoever is true and honest and pure and good and of good repute. Those things come from our thought life, and a focus. And yet, we look at this, and it sounds like, well, it's easy to get over anxiety because all we have to do is lift up our prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to the Lord, and our anxiety's gone. It always doesn't work like that. For a mature man like Paul, it did. He understood. He had been tested in so many ways, physically beat, imprisoned, tortured, And yet, through it all, God always provided his grace for Paul. So he had complete confidence in God's providence. Not so much knowing beforehand what was going to happen, he didn't. And yet he trusted God, knowing that he would take him through whatever he needed to do. And so we get the understanding of this in this context. Paul had a gracious attitude that reflected confidence in not only God's providence and timing, but he also, remember, had pinned to the Ephesians that God works all things after the counsel of his will, in Ephesians 1.11. So Paul not only understood these things, but he taught, he wrote the letters to give this understanding to others. As Christians... It's important for us to know 
how much we can put our trust and hope in God's sovereignty. That, as I've mentioned before, and perhaps it's been said numerous times throughout teaching and preaching here, it is the pillow, as Spurgeon said, in which we rest our head. That is, knowing God is sovereign. We can have peace and comfort from that. We can draw all our strength from our Lord. It's important also to understand that when Christians go through difficult and painful times and facing dire diseases, that we can become anxious over that. Paul had concern for the Philippians. He also was burdened with concerns for all the churches, for when somebody would sin and not be repentant. And that was pointed out in 2 Corinthians when he expressed his care for the churches. So we know that Paul had grave concern, but he didn't let it overpower him to the point where he was debilitated. He had care, he had concern, he had love, he had compassion, but it didn't overwhelm him, and it didn't prevent him from carrying on his ministry. And that's, that's the goal of what this previous text was directed to. We're supposed to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. That is given to us from Proverbs. Our thinking, our trust in God, we have to understand when we witness Christians going through extremely difficult trials and circumstances and suffering, that is a call for us to intercede for these individuals, to pray for these individuals, to comfort, to provide for them whatever their needs are. And yet, we have to also realize that we are trusting in the sovereign God who loves them far more than we can imagine. His love is great, and yet when we see physical suffering, it affects us. And that is to motivate us to prayer and to reach out to give assistance and aid, as did the Philippians to Paul. God's sovereign control over all things truly takes God's word in our hearts and makes it practical. We can, as we grow in Christ, the more we grow and mature in his word, the more we're able to apply those truths to our lives, the more we're able to see God faithful to his word. And that's what Paul's intent is, to grow us up, to mature us in Christ, to let us understand who Christ is, what he has done, and what he is doing through us. The next portion, Paul actually shows his content with God's provision. In verse 11, Paul says this, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. 
Since Paul expressed his gratitude and praise over this gift that Epaphroditus had brought from Philippi, he didn't want the Philippians to misunderstand him. He didn't want them somehow to think or have the impression that because he expressed this appreciation for the gift that somehow he was eliciting, uh, well, maybe I, another gift would be good too. That is not what he was saying. So he wanted to clarify that. He was excited about the gift, the help that was given to him, but he wanted them to see a higher principle. And that's why in this verse, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Paul was never in want. Of course, he had needs, food and clothing. He needed the means to be able to travel. He needed the ability to have strength to do the ministry that he did. And his trust for that provision was his Lord. So the Paul gives a clear explanation that he didn't speak from want. His, ex- <clears throat> his situation was extremely difficult. He was unable to see these Philippian believers that he loved so much. But it wasn't too difficult that he lost his faith and trust in God. Never did that happen to Paul. Paul learned to be content in whatever circumstances he found himself in. The word content appears only here in the New Testament. It has the meaning of being self-sufficient or having enough, not being dependent on others. So in a sense, Paul's dependence was given to the Lord, and he knew that God would supply all his needs. We have to learn that uh, we can't confuse the two things of our wants and our needs. Unfortunately, in this society that we live in, the uh, pursuit of felt needs is the great pursuit of this Western culture. Better jobs, bigger homes, newer cars, and a continual desire to fulfill their felt needs. Some of this philosophy has spilled over in some of the universal church where people are trying to satisfy their felt needs rather than seeking to serve God and to find their fulfillment in him. Paul gave Timothy this admonition. If we have food and covering with these things, we'll shall be content in 1 Timothy 6, 8. So Paul continues, I know how to get along with humble meats, and I know also how to live in prosperity. So he repeats this phrase, I know how. And then he says again, I also know how. This indicates that he has learned these virtues through personal practice. He has learned them. He isn't just teaching something that's a truth, but he's also practiced these truths. So he knows empirically by personal experience 
how these virtues are carried out. Believers can learn this important lesson that's difficult in trying circumstances can cause us to be robbed of our contentment, can rob us of our joy if we lose sight of God's sovereignty. If we focus on the suffering and the trials, we may not understand the higher purpose in God's sovereignty. The apostle experienced numerous painful punishments as well as times of great physical suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 33 gives an example of this. Are there servants of Christ? Paul asks. I speak as if insane. I am more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and in day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. So Paul gives this litany of suffering and trials that he's gone through to these Corinthians. He didn't want to do so, but he did so because it was necessary for his purpose of establishing his validity and his veracity. In all of Paul's continuous sufferings, he was able to learn the secret of being content, and he was able to rise above his circumstances. Let me ask you this. Are we able to rise above our circumstances? That's not an easy thing to do sometimes. It may be easy to read this, study it, memorize it, teach it, but to put it in practice. This is, as we grow in Christ, what God desires us to do. <clears throat> he understood which he passed on to the Corinthians also, for momentary light afflictions is producing in us the eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. That was in 2 Corinthians 4.17. We can learn from Paul's letters how the Lord granted him abundant grace, including the ability to find contentment in whatever circumstances that he was in. 
So we have to come to the understanding of God's sovereign, providential control of all events in order to be able to partake of God's contentment. If we can trust our Lord in all circumstances, we can have God's perfect contentment. As Paul goes on in verse 13, he says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse has been quoted much uh, as we see, quote, uh, Christian athletes. They may have it on their T-shirts or their sweatshirts. People quote that, but do they understand exactly what Paul was referring to? That's the difference. Paul's understanding of his relationship in Christ, he explained to the Galatians in this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's in Galatians 2.20. Paul wanted each of the cities that he ministered in to understand Christ, to know them more, that they would know also that he was living out these truths that he was proclaiming. Now, in this text, there's some different opinions as to what all things refer to. MacArthur says this, In this context, the apostle had in mind physical, not spiritual things. The words, I can do, come from the Greek word, which has the meaning to be strong, to have power, or to have resources. It's also translated overpowered, as it was in Acts 19.16. In a man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. That's the word that was used here. They prevailed. So the Greek term, all things, is a reference to physical needs, according to Paul, and according to John MacArthur in his commentary on Paul. He said that Paul needed this strength to continue his ministry. Now, there's a distinction in the Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry uh, considers all, all are emotional, or mental, and are physical. So there is a distinction between the various commentators. But we can know this, that Paul was given whatever he needed, physically as well as emotionally and spiritually, to carry out the ministry that he had. The Greek term, uh, the word all things, is in re- Respect to this, MacArthur says, physical needs. Paul was able to endure the grueling journeys as well as suffering physical punishments. And we saw from the account in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three what Paul experienced in the way of suffering and punishments. What Paul is saying, I quote, is that he was able to draw upon the strength of Christ 
he would not have been able to endure all the physical hardships which he suffered throughout his life as a Christian and an apostle of Jesus Christ without God providing all that he needed in strength. One of the most vivid illustrations in Paul comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you realize all that encompasses when Paul says that he's content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, persecution, and with difficulties? Those are all attacks personally against an individual. So we could have physical weakness. People can insult our integrity. We can go through distresses, persecutions, and yet our strength is made perfect in our weakness. It isn't our strength that we have to project. It is God's strength that sustains us. And that's what Paul held on to. God's power indwells all believers. And it's far more sufficient to strengthen and sustain us in any trial that God allows. Our contentment is a result of trusting in God's sovereign providence of all things. I'd like to make a quote from a reformer, Puritan reformer by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and several of us here have purchased that book. It's a, a great book that this reformer penned. He says this, quote, A Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going out of himself to Jesus Christ, by faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into our own soul, is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays upon him. By the strength that he finds from Jesus Christ, there is a strength in Christ that not only will sanctify and save us, but strength to support us under all our burdens and afflictions. And Christ expects that when we are under any burden, we should act our faith upon him to draw virtue and strength from him, end quote. 
That's a powerful quote. I know it's a lengthy one, but it's powerful to realize that under any circumstances, any affliction, anything that we are struggling with, that we can go to Christ with it. He is our strength. We may have strong will, but that means nothing. God wants us to depend on him. He will supply all our needs. We must understand the importance of our counting upon Christ to sustain us by his power. And that can only be attained if we live in obedience to Christ. Those who allow sin to enter their lives and don't deal with it, they won't have contentment because God will convict them. So they'll be tormented, basically, until they repent. They can't have peace. If you're a true Christian living in sin, you're going to have the conviction of sin. There won't be any scripture that you can read and have take peace from because you know that you need to get right with God. Now, there was another quote. It's a lengthy quote, but I will read part of it from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I know I've quoted him often, but I'll read this quote pertaining to this text. Now, I suggest that this is analogous to this whole subject of power in one's as a Christian. Health is something that results from right living. Health cannot be attained directly or immediately or in and of itself. This, there is a sense in which I am prepared to say that a man should not think of his health as such at all. Health is a result of right living, and I can say exactly the same thing about this question of power in a Christian's life. Or let me use another illustration. Take the question of preaching on a subject that's discussed more than having power in their preaching. Oh, I might have power in preaching one praise, says the preacher. He goes on his knees and prays for this power. I think that they may be quite wrong. It is certainly as if that is not the only thing that the preacher does. The way to have power is to prepare your message carefully. Study the word of God, think it out, analyze it, and put it in order to do your utmost. That is the message God is most likely to bless. The indirect approach rather than the direct. It is exactly the same in the matter of power and the ability to live the Christian life. In addition to our prayer for power and ability, we must also obey certain rules and laws, speaking of God's word, end quote. So we can only receive contentment through God's power, and we receive God's power not in our own strength, but it's in our weakness. His power is perfected. This is not something that's acquired through counselors or through someone laying hands upon you. Paul says this, when God's power is perfected, his grace is sufficient for you. So Paul goes on 
in uh, verse 14, which I will not try to cover today, to say, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He goes on in that vein of thought, which we'll pick up next time. But through this lesson, at least what I could grab and comprehend in this text, Paul was expressing that his needs were all supplied, every one of them. His physical needs, his spiritual needs, of course, and all the things were attributed to his trust in God's sovereignty. So Paul found contentment in Christ's sovereign and providential sovereign will. He knew that God would work all things together for good. He took his needs before the Lord, and those needs were always provided. So as we close, we need to realize that this whole text is pointing us to that of prayer, repentance when necessary, and our study of God's word is essential. What do we base our thought life on? We should be able to meditate on God's word as well. That is what transforms our mind and renews it. As Paul gives these instructions and permeates the scriptures in his epistles with the pointing to God's word and the pointing to Christ, here he focuses it very narrowly in a specific way of our needs. So we can learn from this, and we know that God will supply all our needs. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging and edifying passage. We know that it is you that is sovereign over all things. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, that we can call upon you in time of need. We just praise you now. I pray that your word would be continued to permeate us. I pray as Jim preaches that we might hear understand and practice the things that you proclaim in your word. We thank you for each one here. I thank you for this body. I thank you for the provision of this body. And Father, we pray that you'd be glorified as we continue our worship services, as we partake in communion, and as we seek your direction in this body. We pray that all that we do and all that we say will bring glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.